As far as whether or not Arthur Lee Allen was the Zodiac killer, um, it was uh, clear watching the film how David felt about it. I mean, uh, it was clear who he thought the killer was. Uh, but he asked me very specifically to play the character as if he wasn't guilty. And uh, I think that was a really wise choice. And I, I found that in the movie, watching it, what the movie's really about, it seems to me, is the virus as a, of obsession. And that this person, the Zodiac, his sociopathy, his, his virus of, of obsession, then is transferred to each and every person and damages or destroys their lives. And that's what's so amazing. And it's interesting that Mr. Fincher is, um, is so obsessive that in some way I think he knows how it is to be uh, so focused as to let everything else drop away and cause damage if possible. I don't know well enough to know. everyone welcome to another episode of a podcast directed by so mike and i are back to continue talking about david fincher uh and i'm pretty sure this is going to be maybe the most completely positive discussion we ever have because we're talking about zodiac uh which i know for a fact is one of mike's favorites and i think it's one of the you know one of the best movies of the of the last decade i think it's like a top five movie of the last decade and to me it's david fincher's best movie which is saying a lot you know coming from me who likes pretty much everything fincher has ever done except for alien 3 but this is at the top of the heap um so mike is zodiac something you saw like when it first came out like was this a theater watch for you in 2007 opening weekend well, opening night probably yeah, um, look, so. okay, like I, <laughs> I'm not trying to shine on for the uh, directed by uh, listeners here. I just, you know, I was even talking with my wife the other day uh, on, we were talking about trips. And of course I turned it to movies as I want to do. <laughs> like you do. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, uh, I I was talking about, uh, we, we once did as a family, a cross country trip out to California and, you know, mm-hmm. see the Grand Canyon, Vegas, like little stops along the way and all that. And uh, I just sort of was talking about how it was no issue for me. I can't imagine it now. First off, I can't imagine having kids. But secondly, <laughs> driving cross country with like three kids in tow. Uh, but I was a saint. I was an angel because if you gave me a book to read, of course, oh sure, I was good. <laughs> so yeah, I don't care where we are, Grand Canyon. Fuck it, I'm in the middle of something right now. Uh, but. The point I got to was... I feel like I you just, haven't changed. Like, that's... Put a not book really. or a movie, like, I'm good. <laughs> I kind of I kind of worry about that, because I'm like, wow, should I have shown more personal growth, or did I just find the shit I liked early on, and I just... I like it, so I just You were just a tiny little it. adult, ready to go. Yeah. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I distinctly remember asking, um, probably demanding... I think it was Tuesday then... Uh, to get the USA Today to get the purple section so I could see the box office numbers for the weekend. And it, it, that's how that's how old I am, is that it took until Tuesday to get the final tally yep. as opposed to immediately. Um, so <laughs> I guess to, to answer your question there, um, it's not just Zodiac, even though I was a fan of Fincher. If you followed along this month, I've been a fan of pretty much everything. Alien mm-hmm. 3, not so much, but that was, that was also before my time really as far as following movies right. 
Um, so I, I pretty much anything I had an inclination of, like, I would like to see that, I would see it opening weekend. So as soon as I was able to drive, I pretty much was seeing movies opening weekend. So it's not just Zodiac. However, <laughs> I remember mm-hmm. watching it with uh, the girl I was dating at the time and another couple. Uh, they all fucking hated it. I loved it. Um, it was a very sparse crowd. Uh, it was a very negative crowd because what was being sold, I think, at least in their minds, was uh, we were going to reveal the Zodiac Killer or at least a uh, a fictionalized version of it that will give you a satisfactory answer, even if it doesn't align with the, the truth or, I guess, the unknown, we should say. And I I was a fan from day one, so I will play the hipster card there. Mm-hmm. That it didn't take the uh, extended version for me to get there, although <laughs> I do prefer it. Um, so yeah, this is I've as you kind of set up. I've often said this is um, the purest favorite movie I have because mm-hmm. everything else in my like top five, and I do have this in my top five, is something I watched as a preteen or teenager where I was like falling in love with movies. Right. And this is the first time as an adult, I'm just going like, oh, this should be good. It's Fincher. Uh, and it still holds with me. So, yeah, this is top five all time for me, Zodiac. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I find, you know, your discussion of kind of the reaction of this movie, I find so interesting because uh, this is a movie I saw by myself. So I didn't really have the like communal aspect of like talking to people after it, which I. <laughs> there weren't that many, to be fair. Yeah, my yes. <laughs> I mean, I kind of wish I had had that, but I'm kind of grateful I didn't, too, because mm. I like if I had seen this movie and had to turn to my friends who hated it, I would have been very upset. Like, because I, I immediately like this is one of the few like sometimes you walk out of a movie and go like, that was really good. I love that. And but in the back of your mind, you're thinking like, yeah, but, in a, you know, in a couple months, am I going to remember this? Like, or is this just a now experience? I walked out of this like knowing that this was going to be one of the best movies I've ever seen, like, for years. Like, I just, it's it's like you're watching something special. And I think you bringing up this idea of what people wanted out of this movie, I think is so interesting. Because I think there's two things that people didn't get out of this movie that they thought they were going to get. And the first one you brought up is, like, you know, a satisfactory ending, even if it's contrived to the story. And also, I think the other thing is violence that doesn't make you feel like garbage. Uh, because this is not a movie that doesn't show the killings um but they made a specific choice to only show the killings that someone survived like so you have a point of view so because Mm. you have that point of view it's hurtful like it's not a thing where you're like reveling in it and i think that shocked people especially from the director of seven and fight club where you can argue that those movies revel in violence and traffic in pain and that is not what this movie does and that's what i love about it is that they choose instead instead of focusing on the killer Like that is the killer is like the impetus. It's the thing that starts everything in motion. But really, it's it's a procedural. It's about these about a police officer and it's about a couple reporters and them trying to piece this all together. And I think also the decision for Fincher to not just focus on one person throughout this movie. Like I think a three hour movie of like just following a cartoonist through this, I think probably gets a little rough. But the way it's balanced between, you know, you got like Ruffalo and Robert Downey Jr. And, and you've got Jake Gyllenhaal. And, and it's 
very strangely balanced because it's not like an even like a third is here and a third is here and a third is here because the last half of the movie is pretty much all Gyllenhaal because everyone else has kind of fallen off either by making mistakes or being told they have to back off the case and then it becomes his movie but I think this movie is just like perfectly constructed like I it boggles my mind that people think this is boring because I, I think for, especially for a movie that's this long, like for me, this movie flies by, like it's perfectly paced. Fincher, this is Fincher at the top of his craft. He knows exactly what he's doing every step of the way. I think people accept uh, something that's uh, epic in length, which, you know, when you get to that two and a half hour runtime, you're, I guess you're pushing that. I, I don't, <laughs> it doesn't exactly fit the definition, but this is a long sit. Uh, I don't remember the same complaints about like Avengers Endgame necessarily, which is longer than yep. this. Yep. But people will accept it because they the amount of garbage television that people <laughs> binge and they like proudly binging stuff that they didn't even like. It's like, well, as long as I binge it, I can get it over with quicker. And it's like, well, you're <laughs> you're still spending the same amount of time as right. someone that breaks it up. Uh, you're no better than your grandma watching Blue Blood Blue Bloods over you know. <laughs> two it's years true. or whatever, uh, just cause you took a weekend to do it. Um, but <laughs> I don't know who that person is. They probably don't listen to this podcast, but if you do, you're, you're oh, welcome no, here. the person who binges blue bloods. Like that's, <laughs> they would, you know what? They would probably like Zodiac. Uh, maybe yeah. they would want it to be longer. I, I don't know. Um, they probably wouldn't like necessarily the pushback you get from, as you mentioned, the various heroes here. Uh, cause you know, Mark Ruffalo, is the, I guess you would say he is the authority figure, even though he's in the weeds on this, this case too. But he he is the one that should be on the case, and Jake Gyllenhaal is representing the hobbyist, which is very popular now. Like in the last decade in particular, uh, there's uh, that uh, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, uh, the, the book and the HBO series, which is kind of, the HBO series in particular is about that, about all of these people that sort of popped up and took an interest in these uh, cold cases and treated it as a hobby. This is something I shouldn't like in that regard, because I don't like true crime. Uh, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with that, with people making this their their hobby. You know, their intentions may be good or not. Uh, I myself, even when this one was coming up, I'm like, do I, do I feel like watching that again? Do I feel like traveling in the worst trauma most people experienced in their lifetime? Fincher manages to balance that by having at least some of the characters voice those concerns to each other as far as like, hey, this is my job. What are you doing, cartoonists? Like, why, why are you so involved in this? And I think that's the trouble area. So what you're liking about it, what I'm liking about it, is this being an ensemble of obsession. Is that most films about obsession, it's about one dude in particular. Usually one... <laughs> One white and, guy. We can go all, and and they're all your favorite movies, by the way. This is this is well, a movie. If, if there was ever going to be a true crime movie that Mike Dennison was going to like, it's this one. <laughs> yes, because I, I do like I guess seeing a character kind of give themselves over to something, even if it's something I don't particularly understand. Now this right. isn't this isn't Vertigo, where it's like Kim Novak. I understand. I get it. Understand okay. that. Yeah. Worth yeah, obsessing over. Yes. You know, someone <laughs> Some guy leaving with a little... handmade silencer. Mm. <laughs> you know, leaving his little Dungeons and Dragons clues in the newspaper. Like, I, it's a turnoff to me. I, you know, not for me. <laughs> so I'm all credit to, to Fincher and company because I don't 
you know, Seven is one that I mentioned on the episode. It kind of makes me a little uncomfortable, even though that's a fictional serial killer that I don't care what drives these people. Uh, it's why I love Summer of Sam when we cover it on the podcast, that it's really about the sexual hangups of this very insecure man, not so much about the son of Sam it's killer. stupid backdrop. Who cares? But when we talk about the length, I think that's the thing. If it was one guy and people knew that it was driving to a conclusion, they would accept it. They might say like, well, it was a little long, but if they, if the film caters to that need of knowing we're going to get somewhere conclusive, you'll be fine. Hang with us. Like, so <laughs> to bring up Endgame again, people will watch 20 Marvel movies. Cause they're like, okay, it's building to this one moment. It's all been worth it. Watching seven Ant-Man movie, Ant-Man movies. That's good. I'm here now. That's it. Doesn't matter. This has a point. And I think it's the the questioning of if this had a point. If if this man just needed to scratch that particular itch for himself of figuring out without being able to prove it, because that's kind of where the film hangs, is that yeah. if he can just know for himself, but it'll never be conclusive to everyone else, does that make the whole quest worth it? I don't know. It's a selfish idea in that regard. It's not selfless in any way because nothing. There's nothing here that helps the families or the victims in any way, right? Uh, and I think that's that's probably where people are like, "Whoa, wait a minute now." <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not like that guy. That, that guy's garbage. That guy's <laughs> that trash. <guy's> weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but if he had solved the fucking thing, then you'd be like, "Yes, absolutely. Take all the risk. Uh, do the damage to the homestead, which they." just barely touch upon here. And I appreciate because those are usually thankless parts. Yeah. Uh, there's, so you're saying, yeah, this is something that's built for me because it is about obsession. But there are a lot of landmines here and yeah. I'm continuously impressed that uh, Fincher pulled this off. Yeah. Fincher kind of danced around all of the, and, and I don't think that's just for you. I think there's a lot of danger areas in this where this could go horribly wrong. Uh, and I think the, the reason it doesn't is like, Mike, I spent a lot of time watching this movie in the last week because I watched the movie, I watched the director's commentary, and then I watched the actor's commentary. This is like nine hours of, uh, this is like Lord of the Rings level you know, of Zodiac. I'm, I'm going to you know let you get into all of that. Uh, I was looking forward to, to doing a little bit of it. Uh, I still can't believe I've given the most time to Alien 3 for this, these couple, couple months. That is tragic. Um, it's not yeah, good. that I watched a documentary longer than the feature film on something I didn't <laughs> even really like. Uh, I go to look for my Blu-ray. It's got the you know the the Zodiac you know mm-hmm. male cover. Nowhere to be found. Oh, no idea. No. And I'm like, this is my argument against. I know probably most of your listeners are for physical disc, tangible media. You never know. Uh, you know, if, if I had everything under lock and key for COVID, that's fine. But apparently pre-COVID, who knows that my friends or family is like, Zodiac, you say that's good. And I'm like, yeah, you should watch it. Which basically <laughs> means I'll never see it again. It's only eight bucks on Amazon. But, you know, we have a recording schedule, uh, which mm-hmm. I missed last night you know, for our, <laughs> our CBS time slot. And I just didn't that's have a chance. Right. And I'm like, God damn it. That's something I would have liked to, uh, you know, at least peruse a little bit. I don't know if I would hang with it for nine hours like you did, but. I did once watch Magnolia three times in theaters when it came out. And I believe that. Nothing as a teenager, about that I'm like, wow, that's me. almost 10 hours of my life spent on this one just movie gone. in the span of like a just, month. 
<laughs> and I was fine with it. That was it's fine. good. It's good. Yeah. So in watching that, especially, or I guess listening to that, especially the director's commentary, the thing that blew me away, like I always knew Fincher was like a stickler for detail. Like that has become at this point, a running joke, both with him and with everyone else. I think I, uh, well, Jill and Hall first... in particular. In yeah. And the, yeah. And the, the first, the first episode of our couple months here, like I played a clip, um, <laughs> With Ruffalo, kind of, because he had done all these takes. And this was, I guess, the first movie he wasn't, like, working on film. He was working on digital, so he could just do as many takes as he wanted. And Ruffalo was, yeah. Ruffalo was just convinced, like, they, they got the wrong guy. Uh, I, I'm terrible, and he knows it, and he's figuring it out, and this poor guy <laughs> is running me through this because I am so bad. Um, so listening to that uh, commentary was so interesting because I just assumed, like, you know, Fincher read you know, the, all the books around Zodiac did the, did the research and then, you know, got the script and did his own thing, but they went through and like actually interviewed the witnesses. Like they went back and like really checked things out, which is why I think this movie feels so genuine. Um, and I think, you know, I, and they also mentioned the kind of most nerve wracking moment moment of all of this process was showing this to some of the police officers involved in, in the Zodiac case. Cause like you don't want to misrepresent them because there's some of your main characters here. Um, and they all of course loved it and thought he did a great job with it. And I think, you know, actually like I love Gyllenhaal in this. I love, you know, Robert Downey Jr. Is, is great in this. It's so good to see him do a real movie uh, and not just be Iron Man. It was nice to remember like, Oh yeah. It's definitely gone on that. Uh, uh, Johnny Depp path was Marvel yes. uh, far more successfully. And I think uh, personal life, he's, probably yeah, done for and he stopped using drugs i was gonna say yeah to it's, like... it's the the opposite i guess <laughs> yes. or you know uh but it, it does remind me of that when i'm i'm looking at this and i'm like oh it's for a time he was just an interesting character actor like you know yeah. especially when he was struggling with addiction and you know he was getting second and third chances which he should uh i'm not arguing against that but it's was coming from filmmakers doing more off the beaten path type stuff and even here he's I mean, he's playing the most off the beaten path character. I think of the three, yeah. uh, Hall might be the weirdo, but you know, this is the character actor part here. And yeah, right. it is. It's nice and depressing. Thank you for yes. bringing that up. Agreed. <laughs> I mean, just that, I mean, I'll move on for this in a second, but just that scene with him and Gyllenhaal in the bar. Uh, divorced. Two kids. What do you do for fun? I love to read. Um, I enjoy books. Those are the same things. Why have you been going through my trash? I'll come back to that. I didn't know he was going to send another cook. I just guessed. Just guessed? The first one seemed too easy. Right, this can no longer be ignored. What is that you're drinking? It's an aqua velva. Well, we wouldn't make fun of it if you tried it. Who actually cracked the code? A married couple who like puzzles. So what's that tell us about the Zodiac? He's no expert. Right, it's just a simple substitution code like the one that we used to do as Boy Scouts. A is one, B is two. We were no Boy Scouts, Robert. Well, it's not that hard. You just gotta know where to start. In the first cipher... You actually carry that around with you? Why? No reason. What's the most common double consonant in the English language? Constant? The double L. Double L. And what's the one word that we know that he'll use in here at least once? Kill. 
Right, cool. So the Hardens start looking for double symbols, which they find here, here, and here, each with the same two symbols preceding them. So now they've got a repeating four-letter word ending with two symbols that they assume stand for L. And since I think the whole word is kill. And you got the K, you got your I, and you're on your way. But how do you go from A is one and B is two to figuring out this whole cut? Well, same way I did. You go to the library. Or uh, with the with the blue drinks. I mean, I that like honestly, they could have extended that scene by about five or ten minutes, and I would just like let me just hang out here. This is great because there's there's something about the way that uh, Downey interacts in this that is like so specific and so different from any other choice that another actor would make. Cause I guess they actually didn't have a lot of video of this actual person. So he was just kind of making it up uh, based on the script. Like the way he like looks at the drink and just says like, okay, we're going to have to talk about this. Like what you have to, we can't go any further. And just the way well, of he course delivers you that like line. the uh, character that's <laughs> most judgmental. I mean, that's not yeah, well, a surprise to me. But I will say that that was not those aren't my favorite parts of the movie. I thought he was great, but actually the interactions between Ruffalo and Anthony Edwards, like that's, I could that's, watch that's, God, those I are could my watch favorite a, scenes. I could yeah. watch a whole movie on that. Like just the way they're introduced, I love the fact that like you know, Ruffalo that's his that's his caretaker. Like he never he never eats, he never takes care of himself and he's like, "Yeah, here you go," you know. And I guess that's one of the things that the actors talked about on their commentary is that Fincher would constantly go to his like lead actors and go watch that guy, watch Anthony Edwards. That guy is a fucking professional. That guy is serious. Do what he does. And he is like so natural in this role. Like it's not certainly not a glorified movie star part, but he just like slides into it and it feels like really comfortable. It feels, it doesn't feel like a performance. And I think you can argue the same thing with Ruffalo too, because Ruffalo is a very understated actor. And speaking of another actor that I wish would, you know, do more real movies and not, you know, Hulk out in the latest Marvel franchise, <laughs> but you know, so it was I so think... interesting to go back to 2007. Like, yeah, those movies well, exist in reasons. 2007. Yes. <laughs> but, um, but this was before it was kind of all encompassing. Yeah, that would be nice for the industry as a as a whole, and you know maybe maybe we will get that. I think you and I, strangely, are a little more positive on the the possibility of you know the theaters uh, going down, up, being rebuilt, whatever they you know because it it feels like this is a chance for maybe the the studio system to break. If they, if all their junk goes straight to a streaming service, then maybe more interesting, lower budgeted, more reasonable stuff. Uh, reasonable financially, not in content, will uh, will rise up. We'll see. Uh, to your point about Anthony Edwards, you know, you have um, an actor playing a truly supporting part here. You know, when when they're on, they are just as responsible for the world building as like the writer or director, as far as making that world feel lived in, and all of the, like you said, all of the physicality uh that sort of defines this dynamic between these two guys already being there and you get the sense that it's been there for years and it's just like like you can tell like if you you know pre-covid if you like walked into a bar or something and you see people hanging out sometimes you can get an idea of like 
in your mind, like how long they've been friends just on right. how they talk to each other, uh, how they kind of move around one another. Uh, sometimes the, the quiet, just letting things just sit as opposed to always having to be on terrible podcasting. Yes. Probably better for friendships. <laughs> good living. Just yes. Fuck up for a while. <laughs> <laughs> All that stuff would be cut out if everything was a, was a podcast, but um, yeah, I, I think this is one that I don't, I've actually tried not to revisit it as much as I probably want to, because it is a, it's a full meal. Um, yes. And it was funny that if you go back to 2007, this is like, even cinephiles, they kind of dropped the ball on this. There were some people that would occasionally bring it up like, Hey, wasn't that pretty great back in the spring? And it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, no country for old men and there'll be blood. That's what we're talking about now. And that sort of defined that year as far as, you know, if there, I guess if there was a film Twitter, I think there was Twitter then, but certainly not yeah. film Twitter. Now right. this one kind of got lost in, in that shuffle, even I think among the, uh, the film dorks Yeah, and, um, it's got a, uh, is it Sidney Lumet? Is that mm-hmm. uh, the, the kind of Fincher's, like one of the, his idols? I, actually, when I say that name out loud, it's one of the times I'm like, isn't that how I would pronounce something? Is that how right. it's actually pronounced? Because you think it's like Lumet. Lumet. <laughs> Ooh, I don't think it is, though. I think it's I think Lumet. It the, I, think. I think it's the dumb American <laughs> pronunciation, um, which, Dave, you now know, living in Kentucky, you know about Versailles. It's not Versailles, I do. Kentucky. I do. That would be stupid. Versailles. Which it would be. If there was a Versailles, Kentucky, See, I think thing, we would all... This is totally off topic of this show, but the thing I find interesting about talking to you is that, especially now that I live here, is you don't sound like you're from Kentucky. Because you, the, the yeah. accent isn't as strong. <laughs> like, cause when you I'm talk sure to the listeners here, like, doubt that. Where are you that. from? I'm from Versailles. <laughs> like, it's, it's strong. And, yeah. Like, <laughs> I honestly don't know where that comes from because I've grown up here my whole life. Too many movies, was, man. <laughs> I, maybe. Yeah, I mean, that's a, you know, it's a valid point. Um, but yes, when I was younger, people would ask, you know, where did you move from? Like, if I was out at the movies or something, you know, other teenagers and <laughs> like from here. And then the, the judgment I would get. And then I get on podcasts and people are like, well, I have who's this fucking redneck with this like, horse <laughs> horse show that he's talking movies endlessly. So I can't win. That's what I'm saying. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Zodiac's great. Um, I don't know what that has to do with Kentucky, it but is. we got there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, actually speaking of hometowns, it was really interesting to watch this now. Cause this is obviously the first time I've watched it since I've moved. And this is a very Bay area centric movie. And, uh, Fincher was like not born, but raised in, in the Bay area as well. So like you, and you could tell he has this affection for the places, uh, that this movie takes place. Like it feels very local. And I was, and I don't think I realized that the first couple times I saw it because like, it's just like, yeah, yeah, that's cause that's where it happened. That's fine. And that's home. And like, I connect with it, but whatever, but now not living there anymore. I was like, wow, this is really a Bay area movie. Like it feels, and it feels so genuine to that, uh, which is, which is a rarity. Cause I think a lot of movies based in California are either very Hollywood focused or just become kind of ridiculous where like people from the Bay Area don't even recognize it because it's just like, mm. oh, it's it's California as an idea as opposed to mm-hmm. California as a place. And this feels very grounded. And I think you bring up a great point about, you know, these two cops, these two characters like feeling like like it feels like they've been together forever and it feels like you walked in on the middle um, it's not something where you're like, and this is where they're introduced. Like you don't get any of that and you don't need it. And it's such a like 
for a three-hour movie, it's a strange descriptor to use, but this movie's really efficient with its time. Like, it covers a lot of ground and a lot of character work um, very easily. Um, and as I'm watching more Fincher movies, I realize that I had had certain preconceptions of Fincher that weren't true. Um, and this all comes from listening to these directors' commentaries. So, for instance, when we watch Seven, whenever I think about Seven, I think about that opening sequence. And I feel like, oh, that's very Fincher, right? It's got like Nine Inch Nails, and it's got, it looks like a music video. That's where he got his start. Ends up, Fincher had nothing to do with that sequence. Someone else did it. And he was like, yeah, looks good. All right, let's go. Uh, same thing with the sequence here of the passing of time. He was just like, I see something there. Figure it out. And then they did it, and he, like, tweaked with it. And that's not his thing either. So I had this idea of him as someone who has these giant flourishes. And that's not really him. That's not really what he does. He does do things to to shock you in really strange ways. Like, there's a sequence here where it plays music, and the screen is blank. For an uncomfortable amount of time. Like, it feels like, did, my, did the picture go out on my TV? Like, am I just getting audio? What's going on? And you're just like, okay, well, I'm sure it's fine. And then it finally comes back. And that is a <laughs> radical thing to do in an already like long movie. Like, I was like... Calling out your own laziness there, Dave. Yeah, ah, I'm I'll sure just, it's I'll, fine. It'll I'll work itself out. It. Yeah. Well, I figured once dialogue starts, if there's, no, if there's no picture, then we have a problem. But, like, to do that in a two-and-a-half-hour-long movie, like... And I, it's something I vaguely remember in the theaters, like people shifting in their seats, like kind of like, what is, because it is very much like an intermission moment, but it never, it never tells you. It's not like going to see Lawrence of Arabia where it says intermission mm. on the screen and you have 20 minutes to go, you know, go get some snacks and come back and there'll still yeah. be music playing. Like I mean, Tarantino did the, the road show thing with the, the hateful, hateful eight and you know, he's. He's got awkward shit in that as well, as far as the the narration that comes in. Uh, who is this person? Why is there someone uh, narrating this? Kill Bill has all sorts of weird <laughs> sort of stylistic changes that are, are different from volume to volume as far as how they handle information. <laughs> um, but it goes back to the, the hand-holding to a certain degree where it's like, well, okay, they're, they're telling me this is going somewhere, so I guess we'll talk about this fucking coffee for 15 minutes, and that's fine. Like, it's just interesting what people choose to... Uh, grumble about as far as uh, length when it comes to film and storytelling. Uh, I, you know, the another film I thought of, and I, <laughs> we, uh, we probably never would have gotten around to him because he's <laughs> often Russia being batshit crazy. Um, Oliver Stone, because uh, yeah. I thought of JFK, yeah. which is about mm -hmm. someone becoming obsessed and there's a conspiracy. I'm gonna figure this out, and that one, you know, if you just had these two side by side. Um, JFK was far more successful. Got all the nominations, was a box office hit. Mm -hmm. it, it is strange with some distance to think uh, American audiences latched onto JFK. They found that to be like, that's a good Saturday night at the movies. Cause <laughs> is well, the, don't you think that's because it's like more outlandish? It's more attention grabbing. It is the, I the mean, you got Joe Pesci of a with the dyed hair being gay on screen. Like there's but, a lot going on. Like it's, but <laughs> This being is too gay. subtle for being well, gay on screen. I mean, when you see like stereotypically like Hollywood masculine men like playing gay characters, it gets attention from the general public. Like I remember seeing that movie and people like just couldn't believe like, oh, my God, Joe Pesci. Like, like, really? That's what you came out of this movie talking about? Like, <laughs> OK, <laughs> like, that was like, I, but that yeah, movie I mean, that is was, really attention. That was far down the list in a lot of ways. <laughs> right, right. It's such an attention yeah, grabber, and um, this feels like 
the greatest five episodes of Law and Order you will ever see. Like it is just, it's you know, it fits in that category, like Blue Bloods, Mike. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll go, we'll we'll amp it up to like True Detective or something because there you, know, you it's, go. It's certainly yes. stylish in its own way, maybe mm-hmm. not as uh, as unhinged as even that series becomes, but it's just interesting because JFK. If I was an alien <laughs> and you showed me both of these back to back, I'd be like, oh, Zodiac, that was the hit. Because mm-hmm. it's like, you know, it's, just, it's grounded in something. It's based on something true. I'm not saying JFK is not, but, you know, it's it's pretty upfront about like, here's a scenario. And then in, in the same scene, it'd be like, well, here's seven more scenarios. <laughs> here's some bullshit. Gonna... <laughs> what do you think of this? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't know if that's uh, TV's influence, which... God, we could go back to the 50s as far as, you know, the, the death of the theater going experience and it's always survived. Hopefully we'll see that happen this time around. Mm. But I can only surmise that something like Zodiac could not come out at all now. I don't think JFK could either, but maybe maybe you're right. Maybe JFK has a, a better shot because it's like, that's the crazy movie. No, I think <laughs> Zodiac would Zodiac... be one of those six episode Netflix shows. Like, that's the only way this comes out. We'll say HBO. Not even HBO Max. We'll say HBO, Dave. We'll, right, we'll pay sure, it some. Sure. We'll, we'll give there. him that. Well, you know, oh. Fincher really likes working for Netflix. He's got his connections there, so. <laughs> Until he just cancels his own show, and then I'm like, I'm glad I don't watch this shit. This is what I tell my wife. This is why I don't watch TV. Like, even you, you write him the blank check, and then Fincher's like, yeah, but movies, man. And I'm like, yeah, you're fucking right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I get it. <laughs> movies. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> so. So as I'm watching this movie again, I, you know, because we covered Karen Kusama uh, and we talked about the inv- invitation, did. which feels also, like years ago. God, it, I mean, it probably was a year ago at this point. It's been a Damn. while. Um, and it has, you know, um, John Carroll Lynch in that playing another hmm. bad guy and John Carroll Lynch playing Arthur Lee Allen, who were, I think, you know, meant to assume by the end, like, yeah, this is probably the guy, at least from the perspective um, of Gray Smith. Like, this this is the guy. Stop getting phone Oliver calls. Oliver Stone would have to told jail. us in glorious detail yes. with his thousand cuts and different <laughs> yes. colors popping up on the screen. This is how he did it. But, yeah, this time it's just a uh, just a look. Yeah. And I, I remember saying when we covered The Invitation, like, that guy cannot show up in a movie and I trust that guy. Like, he's just... He's, he's a villain every time, and I I realize it's because of this movie. Um, hmm. This is this was the start of because Memento then because he's innocent in Memento. Yeah, right? yeah, uh, he's innocent in, in Memento, but it's this movie that did it to me because like I start looking at his IMDb and I'm <laughs> you like, didn't even want to give him that, Dave. And I was <laughs> like, like, yeah, I guess, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Uh, but I look at his IMDb and I'm like, this is the nice husband in Fargo. Like he's. <laughs> He can uh, easily yeah. play like mm, a very sweet character, but now I see him and I'm like, nope, that's Arthur Lee Allen. And then, you know, watching The Invitation did not help because things did not go mm. well in that movie. They did not mess with I my expectations in that way. should have gone back to Fargo because I remember my stepmom uh, when that movie came out. I think on video I like forced it upon them. Uh, <laughs> and uh, she was like, oh, I want my own norm. And my dad's sitting in his chair. And he's silent, not a podcaster, silent through pretty much every movie and would only tell you what he thought if you directly asked him when it was over. Uh, that's when he cocked his head up and was like, that's that's what you want. My dad was a very like, fit I... man <laughs> and he took like, care of himself. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, all right, bet. We'll see about that. So we'll do it. <laughs> no problem. I can handle that. That request. Yes, Absolutely. 
And I also like in this movie, like when you have the scene with Arthur Lee Allen, like it's not, it is intimidating, but it's not your stereotypical like standoff with the killer, right? It's just like, like he's about to kill you. Like he has a weapon yeah. on him. No, exactly. The, it's just like the, an awkward interview where the you're killer sure move this lying. Is the only time he would ever be able to take credit for this, and he won't go on the record taking credit. Maybe mm-hmm. in this moment, this is the only right. time he's going to have someone who knows what he did, or at least they think they know. And there can be a little bit of, um, it's like a little bit of glee in that interaction, which is so creepy in that yeah. where he, there's, there's a pride in what he's able to tell them and not tell them that withholding. Um, yeah, I mean, it would be hard. That's why I can never be a cop, because I'd be like, shoot him. <laughs> shoot him now. <laughs> he definitely fucking did it. Just Look at pop him. him. He's so creepy. And of course, <laughs> I would have killer. to, because you already would have. And I'm like, well, Dave is going to prison now. And... <laughs> Look, but there's no more the Zodiac, so who really wins? It's fine. <laughs> I mean, you'd definitely be going to prison because you shot a big white guy. So that's for sure. Oh, that's be, true. He would be Damn it. in the gas chamber, Dave. <laughs> I find it interesting, though, that the scariest moment, probably the like purest horror moment in the movie, doesn't have anything to do with Arthur Lee Allen. It's the scene, the Charles Fleischer scene, the basement mm, scene. Yeah. Like, you feel, do you ever feel like that's kind of a cheat? Is that the closest he gets to giving the people I went to see this with, like the movie they wanted, like to give them those, those, those scares in that way? I mean... Even if it's cheap, I'm so glad it's there because it's like it's like a masterclass in building suspense quickly. Like and without having like a bunch of jump scares, without like having someone being attacked, like because nothing happens in that sequence. And plus the way the way the very end of that sequence is filmed, where you see you see him in the mirror and then you but you don't realize it's kind of a mirror shot. And then he just appears out of nowhere. It's like a pure jump scare. It's not like it's not cheap. It's not him jumping out at you. It's just a trick of the light, um, mm. which which makes sense given what you've just been through in this basement. It really puts you in that headspace of like all of your nerves like frayed and everything on edge. And when that door opens, there is this gigantic relief. And it, man, like that scene, even in a vacuum, like you don't need to know anything about this other than like this guy is tracking a serial killer here's this scene and i think it 100 percent works what do you dislike about this movie dave anything nothing nothing absolutely <laughs> like honestly like i went on i went on letterboxd and you know left my like you know one sentence review and i just wrote it's just a perfect movie like it just like i have no there's literally there's not and, and fincher would disagree with me there's literally nothing i would change about this movie Unless we had more information about the Zodiac Killer, that's the only way you would change anything. But given the information we had in 2007 and in now, this is a perfectly constructed, acted, directed, produced film. Don't you have a shout out? Wasn't there a letterbox review that pretty much said the same thing, but was very withholding in a Zodiac sort of way? About the writing system? Oh, yeah, yeah. Our our fellow podcaster, Tim, from First Time Watchers, uh, the review was, uh, you know, something like, this is fantastic, one of the best movies of the last decade, four and a half stars. And I was like, Like, I get, you know, withholding the five stars for only the best, but if you're one of, like, the five best of a decade, 
come on, just stop holding on to wow. that that half star. Jesus, what does what does Fincher have to do? See, this is exactly what has happened with Fincher's career when it comes to awards. Like, no matter what the man does, like no matter how many five star movies the man makes, they will not reward him. Right? We've got Social Network. We've got this. We get like there's a bunch of movies here you could mention. Like, and like I'm someone who likes Mank, but I'll almost be mad if he wins for Mank. I'll be like, that that's the one? Like you had so many good well, opportunities. And two thousand seven was a rough year. It it kinda reminds me I would give him you know, that one. You have this you had you have this other show called Ninety Nine from Ninety Nine. It reminds me of hmm. the Scorsese movie from that year that kinda got forgotten uh because so mm-hmm. many great movies came out that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's kind of the same thing here. It's just like if this movie comes out in 2006, and then there's no excuse for this not or winning every it award. it could just come out in uh, 2010 and lose to The King's Speech. Oof. <laughs> what year did The Artist come out? I, did it lose to that? That's <laughs> uh, what year, was that the year after? So, you know, hell, at that point, give it to the, the girl with the dragon tattoo. Jesus, I, do you, I, I'm pretty sure it was uh, 2011. Do you feel like... Artist. Because Fincher's best movies, like, this is a strange thing to say, but I think Fincher's best movies are actually really approachable. They're not typical Oscar bait. Like, Zodiac mm. is not an Oscar bait movie. Uh, people argue that one of his worst movies is uh, Benjamin Button, which we'll find out because I'm finally going to rewatch that. But that feels like mm. an Oscar movie, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Social Social Network doesn't really feel like an Oscar movie. Like it, you know, it's a, it's a movie about Facebook and it doesn't have gigantic stars in it. It's not a period piece. So like he, he stays away from that stuff. So I wonder if that has actually hurt him in being seen as like one of the top at his craft. Um, because he does things that like the general public got into, like, especially when you look early in his career at seven and fight club. And I actually wonder if that's hindered him in that sphere. And weirdly, it has not helped him in terms of box office, because I'm thinking about his movies and there's actually not a lot of big box office in his career. Like seven was the big one. Fight club made no money in the theater. This didn't make any money. Benjamin button didn't make a bunch. Like he hasn't had actually a great career when you talk about it in terms of dollars. Um, but he also stays away from the Oscar fair as well. So he's in this weird mm. in between spot. And maybe that's why I like him so much. Cause he makes great movies that aren't stereotypical. I mean, I think, you know, I mentioned Tarantino earlier, who was more easily defined as far as like, oh, it's a Tarantino movie because they all just feel kind of cohesive as far as it came from that one big headed son of a bitch over there like that. (laughs) That guy, it's all him. Fincher has a, I think, you know, his visual language, you could probably identify it from film to film. But I think you're right as far as like, uh, the stories that he chooses to apply his craft to aren't necessarily one to one like a a Tarantino, Tarantino or even a Christopher Nolan. I think is you know right beats you know it's very similar to that drum that he's he's playing there. It's all about and, time and dead was, wives, man. That's all you need. That's all you well, need and for this a year Nolan he was movie. banging the drum to to kill us all to go see <laughs> Tenet, but um, and thankfully Fincher does not believe that because it came and you know came to Netflix, came to our homes. But uh, yeah, I think I think you're right, and you know the 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 years that you're missing on there 2007 not the case because if you're talking about a battle between no country and there will be blood they have they both have pretty dark sensibilities as far as their view of the of the world and those the main characters are espousing that and to some degree zodiac is more hopeful than mm-hmm. <laughs> than either one of those films um 
But yeah, like, you know, Fight Club losing out, obviously it was never contention. It was never going to be nominated for anything, (laughs) but lost out to American Beauty. That's not aged well at all. (laughs) Um, Let's see, Seven lost out to what? Was it Braveheart? Was that 95? That, also that hasn't aged right. too well. <laughs> based well, on, I mean, I think the star and the director is not <laughs> well, aged well. I think. I'm just saying, you know, I wonder Fincher if that maybe movie holds the... up separate from that. I haven't watched it in probably a decade. Um, uh, you know, it's just, it, it was never really my bag as far as, you know, we, we did an episode on what women want, which is about as dangerous you can get with, with Mel. My point <laughs> being is that Fincher has long had the reputation of being sort of a prickly asshole. And look at the true assholes that he's he's lost to i'm not saying anything about colin firth i don't think i don't know for king's speech he seems like a very nice he, guy he seems like a pleasant who directed that british film that thing is that the oh, lame is guy yeah yeah, oh, yeah. Well, Slash he cats. Sucks. yeah jesus christ <laughs> <laughs> it just gets like more insulting the more you think about it the more you think about fincher not winning either best picture or best director for any one of these fantastic movies like i tend to like not get worked up anymore about award stuff much um because i'm just like yeah it's stupid like you know you look at any year and you're like yeah none of that makes sense and none of those are the best movies of the year it's a you know it's a whole there's a whole political thing that goes on so who cares but when you start looking back at someone's entire career and i just don't want fincher to end up with a Oscar thing like Peter O'Toole, who's one of the greatest actors to ever live and never won an Oscar. And then they gave him this like, you know, career achievement award or worse, you get the posthumous award, you know, Hmm. like, Oh man, that guy, that guy died. He was really good. We should, we should do something. Uh, here you go. Here you You go, family. You know, did you say that? And I had no idea Peter O'Toole had not won an Oscar. You could have told me he'd won multiple ones. And yeah, mind, you would like, think that makes sense. So in the end, it's not. Gonna I mean, Fincher's already won. If, I mean, he did if his. If you're great enough, I don't think people are going to be like, "Oh, well, he must not have been good because he didn't win an Oscar." Like there are certain actors Look, he's, that you're like, he's great. He did his Orson Welles Citizen Kane movie, right? Right. And Citizen Kane didn't win. Right. Uh, it did get nominated, um, but I mean, he's he's already the best of the decade sort of champion with Social Network. And I don't think that's going to be knocked off. I think that's pretty solidified as far as the, the common view is that, oh, that was the best thing of the last 10 years. Um, I will say he had an unfair advantage in that you get in early. <laughs> you, have, you have a decade to sit with it. Yeah, but that's right. That I don't is know, really good. I don't know if Parasite was going to have that same opportunity coming in <laughs> at the Sorry, buzzer, but whatever. Not good enough. <laughs> Can't quite Going back it. to uh, David Lynch. Uh, yes. It's all about timing, son. Right. <laughs> Get out the stopwatch. <laughs> That's absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, you know, Zodiac is great. Zodiac is one of the best movies ever made, and it's it's strange to talk about this in the middle of our couple months, but like this is to me, this is easily the best venture movie. But it's incredible that you can say that when you've got the Social Network coming up. Like, that's mm-hmm. how good Zodiac yep. is. Because Social Network, spoiler alert for future episodes, is a fucking five-star movie. It's great. Uh, but Zodiac, Four it and just half. feels... Letterboxd <laughs> yeah, Review, that's... this is perfection on screen. Four and a half stars. Ten Four from stars. first-time watchers. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just... And it just feels... It feels the most Fincher to me. Like, this feels like he is completely in control of everything that's going on. And See, he's not... He's not trying to access anything. I think, like, with... Social network. He's tr- he is accessing something that's going on in the culture, kind of at that moment, and kind of connecting it. 
Whereas this feels much more like a passion project than anything else he's done. I can't wait till we get to the girl with the dragon tattoo. Cause that's where I feel mm. we can, we can okay. have a little bit more of a back and forth. Cause I think that's that, that one at least, you know, we'll get to some detractors. Uh, I'm not looking forward to Benjamin Button because I don't want to pull out uh first time watchers, you know, two and a half star review of that or whatever, whatever <laughs> it is. That's the one that people kick around a lot. See, and that's, <clears throat> it's fine. that's the reason that's the one I may not be looking forward to. Like, I'll look forward to talking about with you, but like dealing with the Internet about Benjamin mm. Button does not sound fun. Mm-hmm. But I am. I mentioned at the very beginning of these couple months that that's the one I'm looking forward to watching because I haven't seen it since it was in the theaters like i saw it once and i was much younger and i don't think i don't think it's a young person's movie i think you're going to get more out of it as you age so i'm looking forward to watching that but the reaction from people online like i'm like should i even do the whole hashtag now watching thing with this do i really want to deal with this (laughs) bullshit like people like like "Mm, that movie fucking sucks like she has sex with a baby or whatever like i just i don't need that in my life it's it's too much I mean, you know, you could just be like me, and when I get a tweet, Mike's this, like, "You could just uh, shut up." That's you could just not tweet. Like, yeah. you know, that's, that's how about you point. just not talk? Not only to me, but to anyone. Your family doesn't want to hear from you. No one wants to hear you speak. You know, my mother does listen to this. She does want to hear from me. Thank you very much. I'm just saying, Dave. You just—I'll give you like a. Uh, you know, a, a draft that you can just copy and paste. This is what you say to these people. You're like, shut your face. <laughs> Get off my feed. All right. Perfect. I need to hear it. All but right. please rate and subscribe. Thank you. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's very important, apparently. Yeah, I'm sure that'll bring us millions of listeners. So, yeah, Zodiac, if you haven't watched it, I think it's on I think it's on Prime. Uh, well worth your time if you haven't watched it yet. Like, it's, it's great because this isn't – you could listen to this whole episode and not really have anything spoiled. Because it's not a movie that has that kind of ending where it's like, gotcha, here's what's going on. We could come back two weeks from now and do an entirely different episode on Zodiac. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we, this is by no means, and it's stupid to think of any movie podcast as this is the definitive take on a movie. Now, some of them, <laughs> maybe you they can do that. think they are. <laughs> maybe there's some. <laughs> no, like, this is, this is well, the movie you could easily do like a minute-by-minute podcast. Like there's mm-hmm. so much here. You'd have you, a really dark year if you. And it, and it would be a lot <laughs> of episodes because it's a long movie. This is a lot of minutes. I but did yeah. like seeing that bit of trivia where Fincher asked his actors to talk faster so that they wouldn't have to cut pages, <laughs> yes, <laughs> script and information. Uh, you know, God bless him because I listen to podcasts at 1.5 speed. I understand. Yeah, just, let's just get talk to faster. Get the information out there. Absolutely. Yep. yep. All right. Um, so our next episode, as we mentioned, we'll be talking about the curious case of Benjamin Button. Um, so Mike is really looking forward to that. Can't wait to talk about that. And if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, uh, our, our at is at DirectedByPod. And you can donate to our Patreon at patreon.com slash a podcast directed by.